Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this very special 4th of July issue of Fanatic Radio. I'm your host, Michael Gardner, and our co-host, partner in crime, Ben Florence, is currently at the Nathan Hot Dog Eating Contest. So instead, we are joined by the Friel Deal, straight out of Philly, Mike Friel. Thank you for showing in for uh, people because of his uh, idiot extracurricular activities. Oh, well, glad to be here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure Ben's stuff is his hot dogs, but... Get some Mike and Mike reunion going on. I'm sorry. Once again, uh, this is Snack Radio. Yes, we are still our show. We are currently on summer break as we are students full-time at American University. But, you know, we thought we'd uh, step on the airways to get you out of a bit of a hole. But uh, how's your summer been, Mike? It's been uh, pretty pretty solid so far, you know. It's, it's it's nice to get away from D.C. every once in a while, get back home and get out of the big city. How about you? How's your been? It's been busy. I'm working the 9 to 5. Monday through Friday, cool. it's it's driven me probably to, almost to the brink of insanity. But nevertheless, uh, we have a, a pretty quick show for you on hand, uh, 30 minutes long, as we will return to the full hour show in August. But uh, big news, especially in the NBA, is basketball. It's probably the only basketball talk we'll have for the summer. But uh, the recent hikes of uh, Brad Stevens, Butler University head coach, is going to coach the Boston Celtics, or more like what was the Boston Celtics, as a massive fire sale, had Doc Rivers going to the Clippers, and I believe in a few days, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce have to go to the Brooklyn Nets. Is this is something that we rarely see in basketball because uh, how not? I mean, how a good coach Brad Stevens is, but Mike, are you surprised that a guy from Butler, a mid-major school, is going to coach the NBA? I mean, it, overall, if you were to look at it as a, as a general rule, then yeah, it is surprising. But if you look at the success Stevens has had over the past few years. Him personally, it's not that surprising. He does take it, he does inherit a Boston Celtics team that's pretty much next to nothing, so he could pretty much have his way with it. I mean, I don't know. Do you think he'd do well? I mean, he, he's in a tough division, too. Because it's not like he's hopping into the easiest job in the world. You know, the Celtics have so much tradition, especially the big three that was. And now you have to face, you know, Miami and Indiana and you're Sixers. I don't know. Do you think he'll fare well? Well, you know, I think that what, what you mentioned is a large part of why he's, he's – I, I think he will be a success because they really are in rebuilding mode 
and hopefully the, the Celtics fans, with that tradition that you mentioned, with the success they had of the Big Three, hopefully they'll have some patience for the next year or two, understanding the NBA rebuilding is a quick year or two process. This isn't baseball where you come to the, the minor league systems. As we've seen in this year's draft, a team can literally tank in a matter of minutes to go all in for especially next year's talent-heavy draft. So I think Stevens going to be low-key, low-pressure, I think I think a little bit of a, a game or two about 500 could even be a realistic expectation. He seems like a solid coach. He works with what he's got. He doesn't have a lot here, but after seeing what can do a Butler, I really I have faith that the Celtics maybe can finish. I'm going to say three games about 500 this year. So that'll be what the seventh or eighth seed, maybe better. Yeah, yeah, probably probably a solid seventh seed. Probably face Chicago, Miami first round, get knocked out and in a sweep, but it's still, you know, it's still going to the playoffs. That is true. Um, Beefle is completely praising this, saying this is probably one of the, uh, this tremendous hire, being that he had a lot of patience, you know, he had worked a full-time job before he coached Butler, and ended up leading them to the national championship game in 2009, and they're actually inches away from winning it when uh, Gordon Hayward missed. My only consideration, my only problem with this is, it's, the NBA is full of egos and guys that, you know, there is, apparently in the NBA there is an I in team. And I don't know how much patience this guy will have. Because at Butler, you know, being a small mid-major school, they knew what to expect. They knew they weren't, some of them weren't, you know, the first selections of the big-name schools, like the Calipari's of Kentucky or the Dukes of Coach K or the Bayheims of um, Syracuse. So they're sort of... Uh, grassroots guys working up from what they have and sort of just uh, taking their, like, golden opportunity. I don't know how Brad Stevens deals with egos, and he's a, he's a guy that I don't want to see sort of get taken in by some drama queen that the Celtics trade up for. Because there are a lot of head cases on that team. But then again, there isn't. You know, Avery Bradley, fresh, is, you know, a few years out of college, uh, Rajon Rondo, if he's healthy and he doesn't leave, there's rumors are he might go somewhere else. You know, Jeremy Solinger's out of college. It's only like if he runs into like a Jermaine O'Neal or, Rashi- or or like or like a Rasheed Wallace. I don't know how he'll deal with the egos, but for the most part, I mean, wish him the best. I don't know how good they'll be because apparently the the uh, East is building up teams. You, know, you saw. Indiana take the heat to seven games. Miami's going for a three-peat. Boston, or no, uh, Chicago gets Derrick Rose uh-huh. back. What about your Sixers, though? Is that well, what you know, the I next th- topic will flow into? I, I think you touched on it. The East is really is going to come down to a, what we're going to see the three-team race for at least at least the next few years between Chicago, Indiana, and Miami. Because Miami aside, Indiana and Chicago are young teams. They still have a lot a lot of time in these great young players. Miami, if they can if they can keep the big two together, there's a rumor there's rumors of LeBron going back to Cleveland or even going to LA or going anywhere. If they keep it together then it's a three horse race for a while. So with that and and looking at the, the Celtics and the, the rebuild mode there and I think another great example like you mentioned is the Sixers, who in a matter of minutes managed to alter the face of their franchise with, with uh the new GM Sam Hinkie, the, the money ball of, of basketball, if you will, coming in from the Houston Rockets, and really just shaking things up, taking the all-star point guard, the youngest all-star in franchise history, one of the, the up-and-coming players in basketball, considered maybe potentially a superstar one day, and shipping him off to 
Pelicans, well, now the Pelicans, New Orleans, former Hornets, for Nerlens Noel, who seemingly is Andrew Bynum part two with the ACL issue and, and the bad knees and isn't going to be on the court for December, has a weak offensive game, great shot locker, but questionable other aspects of the game. So it re- it's, an, it's an interesting time to watch as a Sixers fan, as a basketball fan in general, to see if, if this rebuilding and see if we can get a, a movement back to that kind of build up to the draft. You know, as we see San Antonio, they built their big three through slow, smart draft picks opposed to Miami's big signings. And I really hope the, the Sixers can be another step in this movement back to slow internal regrowth and, and drafting smart and tanking this year to go for that Wiggins pick next year and getting getting good, solid picks. They're, they're going to have two lottery picks next year and try and rebuild from the bottom up instead of just signing the Andrew Bynes of the world. I love Andrew Bob. Andrew Bob, great guy. All I know is what's going to happen next. Who's great your coach now? The Sixers yeah, exactly. are the only team, without a co- only team without a coach right now. So, yeah, because Doug Collins essentially resigned, right, after he almost, you know, got a heart attack coaching the Sixers this year. Yeah, he, he's with he's with the organization still, but there's uh, there's thoughts that he's going to move back to uh, – his his uh his job behind the desk there just analyzing his son's not an up and coming, I think his son's uh, assistant at Duke. Um, oh, and, and he, he's his, now the head coach. He's now the head coach at uh, Northwestern. Right, right. That's it. So there's there's thoughts that the Collins might be out there and and just help him out, you know, and let the family tradition continue. But yeah, the, the Sixers only team in basketball that a coach right now with this Brad Stevens signing with the uh, with the Celtics. Would they go? Would they go? Would they do well if they signed a college coach? Yeah, I, th- I think this is another – to look across town at Philadelphia, too, with the Chip Kelly situation, I think this is a situation you don't have a lot of expectations. You're really just trying to rebuild. See what happens. Sign a college coach. Sign somebody young. That let, let I just – I think go all in with Hinky. He knows – he seems to know what he's doing. It's, people are calling it the Hinkification of the Sixers around here. And, you know, just let him take over, change the franchise, get a young coach in there that's going to listen to him and be told, you know, like get told what to do by him and just let this – see what happens. Let it play out. Yeah, you know what they should do? They should re-sign Allen Iverson. You know, he. It's funny because he still, when the Sixers went to that uh, that series with the Celtics two years ago, they won seven games. AI would come to every single home game and they show him up for the game. But now, there's reports that he's uh, he's broke. He's looking for money. Apparently, he uh, he got a big payday playing for that uh, Turkish team before he hurt himself. All of that's going to alimony and child support, and then there's rumors he got he got some endorsement deal, and apparently blew it all at one night. He went to a steakhouse with some with some girl he was with and bought steaks for being the no, steakhouse. So he apparently blew twenty thousand dollars on one meal. So he's he's not doing too good right now. Oh boy, he's desperate too, starving for someone. But uh, are you surprised that the Cavaliers took Anthony Bennett, the first overall pick, and Noel is going he- to Sixers? Yeah, I, I really I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I think Bill Simmons' reaction was was the was priceless between the, between the holiday trade and the Bennett pick. The, the, it was great to just watch that live reaction, watching the draft live. I think that, I think the Cavaliers made a smart pick, and I think looking back, maybe it kind of makes sense that they just went with the that you know like low risk, high reward kind of threshold instead of just going all in with a questionable guy like Noel with his knees or. Somebody with with a college only set of skills like Carter Williams or well not Carter Williams he was never overall number one discussion but you know somebody else I think they made a smart pick it was surprising but it seems to be a good matchup with with uh, Kyrie with what has going on there 
Yeah, but I think the two biggest surprises in the NBA, one was first uh, ESPN last night saying that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win 64 games next year with uh, new head coach, my boy Jason Kidd at the helm. Yes, yes. That was, can I tell you, that was great. You you watched the draft, right, live? Yeah. Did you, when, when the... Uh, Jason Kidd had a press conference at one point. His fan was showing it, and that was just one of the coolest things in the world to see. Was see Jason Kidd talking about the draft, and he's got the title on the screen: Jason Kidd, head coach of Nets. That was just amazing to see. That was one of those. That was one of those great moments. He is he is in the same boat as Brad Stevens in a sense that I don't think he realizes what he's getting himself into. And with with the same with Brad Stevens, you know, I wish him the best. I hope he does well. But in reality. It's it's one thing for a college coach who had experience into the tournament, so he has some credible coaching experience and uh, you know years under his belt of winning. And up then, of course, Butler was in the Atlantic Ten. They you know, had a big name conference. They dominated the Horizon League, went to the tournament, went to the back to back Final Fours. But then you have Jason Kidd, who wins with the Mavericks, gets a DUI at the Nets. The old goat still keeps going, and now he's going to coach essentially Paul Pierce, Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, and Kevin Garnett. There's no way he's going to win 80, 64 games. I mean, unless no, I think you know, I mean, unless he does something dramatic. And, and you know, maybe maybe it's 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 strange, probably maybe for some of the players that he played against them for so many years. Now he's got he's coaching them. Maybe this is the solution to that. That ego problem that that uh, L.A. has all the superstars. You know, it, it's rare with the super team era, but Miami seems to be the exception of getting this big collection of superstars and, and having them work well together. Maybe the solution is to have a, a former player, a fresh player like Jason Kidd, to just lead this team. You know, and maybe maybe it stands on something with 64 wins. I think I think you're right. It's they're they're calling a little high, but I think you might be you might be short selling Jason Kidd a little bit. He's been a leader on the court for 17 years he should be able to, to manage at least a 500 record in his first season. That is true. Former players coaching. It's worked in soccer. It's worked in baseball. Uh, speaking of baseball, you are not big on the Yasel Puig sensation that's sweeping South L.A., are you? No. I uh, there, there was a great quote from Jonathan Popman the other day, and I don't, I don't, I don't agree with him totally, but he, he was on MLB Network Radio, and said it would be an absolute joke for all the veterans in the game, and a joke of baseball if we made the All Star game. And I think he's, I think he's taking a little far, far corner joke, but he's the point's there. There's, there's a lot of discussion, you know, a lot of ESPN hype, and that, and this is nothing against Puig. He's a great player, you know, going through a lot, defected from Cuba multiple times, trying to defect. The first time didn't really work out that well for him. He got called again. You know, he finally gets through, gets to America. It's a great, it's a great story. It's a great player he's playing in LA they're having a struggling season it's a high point for the Dodgers fans but this forced media hype from ESPN it's like it's Bryce Harper all over again where he's a stellar player at top of the line but you just can't force you can't force a story in sports I think ESPN is still is trying to make up for this this undercover to do a baseball and they're trying to say oh look we can do baseball here's Yasiel Puig but it takes away from the value of the player and it takes away from what he's doing if you're going to watch every single bat and go and open every story, every day, every sports in our episode, mention him, please. Case in point, the morning after the Heat won the championship, 
the second story on ESPN after the Heat win was Yasiel Puig's performance preview. Like, that's ridiculous. He, I, I am a Heat hater, but they deserve an entire day of Sports Center for a back-to-back championship, not Yasiel Puig in the first 10 minutes of the show. Well, to be really fair, uh, your comment of Bryce Harper, that dude is that dude's absolute train because he gets hurt. He hits two home runs in his first game of the season, gets hurt, and his first game back hits a home run. That dude, him and Lance, him and your boy Trout, are deserving of all stars, none to say the least. Which you know, they're they're my age at ten times bigger. Puig, though, his stats are impressive, and yet he has gotten the Dodgers out of a hole, but. Baseball is a sport. He is this guy is just one like elbow surgery, elbow injury away yeah. from just completely tanking his career. And the, and the way he plays, it could happen any day. He's, he he runs into the wall seemingly almost every night, just full <laughs> on. And he, he's he's gonna hurt himself when the season's over. There's no way he can get this up. This dude, this dude is Rambo on a baseball field, which is hilarious to watch. But I don't know how long. Maybe it's just a summer thing. Maybe it's just this guy will do well up until, like, August, and he'll completely just burn himself out. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I think he, it's almost like watching Pete Rose play. Where, you know, they, they say he went hard in every play, but even Pete Rose took a play or two off or took a day off or two. This, this kid just seems determined that he's going to do everything in the baseball field, which is a great attitude, but hopefully you're right. By August, he cools down and gets more to that, that team routine and – and doesn't hurt himself in the end what could be a promising career, but not an all-star season. Yeah, exactly. But uh, baseball this season, the uh, all-star game is coming up. So, I mean, halfway through the year, are you surprised? Will the Pittsburgh Pirates fizzle out like they did last year, or could you actually see them make the playoffs? As they, I, think, I believe they have the best record in baseball right now. As, as of right now, yeah, they're at uh, 52 or 53 wins right now, best record in baseball. But if you remember, the past two years, we've been in the exact same position. I mean, granted, oh, the Pirates are actually up to nothing now, too. They're, they're going for what would be their 53rd win today if they win this game. Um, granted, the past two years, we've been in the same situation, but now they have an even bigger lead. We, you know, we, we've seen these, these second half of the season epic collapses where Andrew McCutcheon seemingly just leaves the team or decides he's not going to hit anymore, and the whole team collapses around him. But I think now there's more of a, there's a better chance for this more sustained success because now it's not all on McCutcheon. McCutcheon's having a great season. He's not having his typical MVP debate season right now. The rest of the team's really picking up. You're seeing guys like Neil Walker, Starlin Marte, are really carrying load of this team. Ruffin Martin's having a renaissance here behind the plate there. The pitching staff is seemingly a hodgepodge question of guys at first, like A.J. Burnett, coming out of nowhere, have a great season. And then you also see... They finally have these great young pitchers coming up. They have Jarrett Cole, who they took uh, number one overall, going for his fifth straight win today. Um, uh, Gorilla, Jason Gorilla, who the Phillies last offseason seemed to cast off for nothing, picks up, and now he's got 26 saves, 28 saves with the Pirates. It's a great young team. I, I hope they make the playoffs, honestly. If they're, if they're going to break this 20-year drought of not being above 500, I really hope they can break it in style and go all the way to the playoffs, not just break it by squeaking a game or two ahead. I do, to answer your question, I do see them making the playoffs. It's going to be tight with them and the Cardinals, two best teams in baseball in the same division, and it sucks to be the Reds because arguably the fourth best team in baseball is stuck behind the two best teams in baseball. So definitely the two NL wild cards are coming out of the Central. Whether or not the Pirates get that wild card, if they play the one game playing, or they get to go straight to the division series, remains to be seen. 
But I do see some late September baseball happen in Pittsburgh for the first time in 20 years. What are the what are the teams that you see in the second half making sort of this last surge? Like like the Nationals, could they overcome the injury bug? Could they make the playoffs? Or I, you know, be, be, living in D.C. like we do, you, you want to kind of hop on that national bandwagon. You saw a lot of the city do that last year. But I really think they were just a one-trick pony. I think everything went so perfect for that team last year that you really – they're not going to be able to – I mean, obviously they're not going to repeat 98 wins this year with the pace run right now. I think we're seeing them what they are, which is a 500 team. Yeah, that they're, they're being hurt by injuries a lot, but every team deals with injuries. And the, the better teams – can overcome those injuries and still win, and the Nationals aren't finding a way to do that. The bull, the bullpen's sharp, not as solid as last year. We're seeing we're seeing that decline, and that's probably a large part of the reason. Um, the offense is struggling. I, I I honestly last year the production they put up, you really you got to wonder where it came from. Some of the guys in that roster, Jason Worth, underperforming, and again underperforming. And I think we're seeing these guys like Ian Desmond. They're not having career years again, and this team just can't keep up on Worth's struggling bat and Harper's injury-ridden bat. Yeah, what about the American League? You have the Blue Jays that stunk at the beginning, and now they're enjoying some success. They're on that huge win streak. They got the Yanks, Joe Girardi, thrown in the towel after a shutout against my Rangers. I think the AL East is, is maybe the one of the most exciting races to watch in baseball. It's not an NL West where you, have, you really have the whole – Almost, you have the whole division within four games of first place. The AL East could produce, for I think what would be the first time this this decade, an entire division above 500, which is crazy when you think about it. That the entire division is so good, and even with it beating up on each other for an entire year, they can produce five above 500 teams. The, the Blue Jays right now, two under. You mentioned the, the great win trick they went on another day, the, uh, two weeks ago, to bring them back in the contention. They're obviously not a playoff team. We're seeing them bounce out to what they are, but they are a 500 team. Tampa Bay Rays, they contenders for years. They they play a smart type of baseball, a low key, good pitching, timely hitting, great team to watch. The Yankees throwing in the towel, but still, it's the Yankees. The roster they got can keep them above 500. The Orioles, Manny Machado, all this all this talk of Chris Davis with his home runs on pace for 70 home runs, all these RBIs. Manny Machado is on pace to break the doubles in a season record. So you you'd be looking at an offense that would have the guy a guy hit seven, maybe seventy home runs and a different guy breaks the record for doubles in a season. So that's just great to watch at Baltimore and Boston surprising everybody and showing just how quick you can rebuild if you trade away all of your players that they did last season and one of the best records in baseball and the best in the American League. That's crazy. Yeah. Who is your uh, MVP for, uh, as of now for your both your uh, NL and AL? I gotta give it to, I gotta give it to Miggy for for AL. I, Chris Davis is having a great year, 32 home runs, insane numbers. But you look at Cabrera; he's got 85 runs batted in the All Star break. He's leading the league in hitting, leading both leagues in hitting, uh, runs batted in. He's second to Davis in home runs. He's still got 26 home runs. He's leading the league in runs scored. That's, it's a crazy lineup over there in Detroit, and I'm really I'm wondering why they're not doing better. But Miggy definitely carrying this team, the best player in the AL. The NL, it's a little tighter. It's more interesting. If if the Rockies can can become any sort of like relevant team, then I gotta go with either Cargo or Tulo. Really doing unappreciated work out in the West, carrying that team. But if the Rockies fall out of contention, then I think I gotta give it to Molina for being the backstop and carrying that that Cardinals team. 
All right, well, this show is something that you definitely want to talk about for weeks now. Wimbledon finals are, I believe, you said uh, Sunday, yet there are the final four of half the field that nobody knows. I think Djokovic and Del Porto are the only – is Andy Murray still in it? Uh, yeah, the, we, the men's semis uh, tomorrow are going to be Djokovic playing Del Poe and uh, Jersey Janowitz, uh, number 24-ranked pole, playing Murray. Okay, so it'll be it'll be essentially a Murray Djokovic final. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Why, must, have, why have all the big players? Why have all the stars lost in like the first two rounds? They just you know uh, didn't want to try. A, a lot of it was injury, which was really something strange, and they're they're calling it there was a massacre Monday, terrible Tuesday, all these little punny names that ESPN commentators had, but we saw uh, it was. Uh, the, the first week of the tournament, the first Tuesday of the tournament, so two two Tuesdays ago, we saw six players withdraw or retire. Now, retire in tennis is before the match starts, you – or, I'm sorry, during the match, you you leave the match from injuries, retirements during a game, and you, you can yeah, retire before the match. Boy, I feel like my boy Willie Songa quit on me. I was so mad. Well, you know, he's he's a he's a big guy. He's hurt his legs before. There's, there's big knees, and the, there, there's something with the, the grass this year. The Wimbledon officials are denying it. All the players are complaining. Songo's falling around, hurting his knees. Sharapova, who reportedly hadn't fallen in ten years of a career, fell seven times in one match. So Roth has fallen over the place. Fed was hurt himself. Isner hyperextended a knee, rolled over in warm-ups. It's, it's just the list goes on of all these top players getting knocked out. And there's a theory going around that there's something wrong with the grass. That's caused a lot of injury, causing a lot of these big players to be a little more conservative, maybe not go all out like they usually do. And you're seeing these younger guys who really have nothing to lose kind of step up, and now the result is we, we had – I mean, the semis kind of bounced out. It's four ranked guys in the semifinals. Up to the quarterfinals, there was unranked guys in almost every match coming up. That is fantastic. You know, what that, when I first heard that having the good majority of the ranked guys are out first three days. I thought of the intramural championship that you won where yeah. it was a bunch of essentially a bunch of no no names or guys that quit. That is fantastic and you won. So Andy Murray win and finally win in his home country. He came up short last year, won the Olympics in London, but could he get that coveted Wimbledon crown? You know, no no Brit has won in Wimbledon in almost ninety years at this point. It's you had to go back pre-World War II to get the last British Wimbledon champion, men or women. I really, I don't, I don't see Murray getting it. If he does get it, then I got to say this is rigged for Murray to win, and these guys were hurt on purpose. But I really see, I see Djokovic coming through again. It's a shame for the British fans. Murray almost got upset by, by an unranked guy in, in his quarterfinal, quarterfinal match with um, oh, Spaniard. I forget his name right now. But he went down two. He went down two sets really quick. He fought back, just barely won. I I don't even maybe see him making the final. I really think he's going to struggle with Delpo. I think Delpo's going to give him a run for his money. And or I'm not sure uh, Janowitz, who is playing the best tennis of his life, best tennis of his life, ranked 24, making semifinals. I really don't see Murray being the, coming through this year. Okay, and that's all the time we have for today, folks. This has been a special episode of Fanatic Radio. Make sure to check out the podcast on iTunes, as who knows, we might even return sometime in July. Beautiful might actually join us on the call. 
But I, you know, Friel, we need to get you a title. Cause I, oh, I'd be cool to say something like Mike Friel of Yahoo Sports or something like that. We need to get you to be a staff writer on BFL360's website. <laughs> that works. I could be your uh, right, other commissioner insider. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, he's our he's our maintenance insider. Yeah, our maintenance crew. But uh, if not, we'll be back in August for Mike's The Thrill Deal. I am Michael Gardner saying so long. We will see you next time.